It's so good to be with all of you, and not only in the room, but everybody online. So welcome. Can we just welcome everybody who's joining us online? We're so glad that you all are here. And before we jump in to the message today, um, uh, like I mentioned just a moment ago, we have a week of prayer starting, and which means that this week, Monday through Friday, uh, every morning, 6.30 to 7.30, we're going to have a prayer gathering, and uh, everybody's invited. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it, even if you can come for the first 30 minutes and then you got to go to work or whatever, but be here for as many of them as you can this week, whether it's one or all. They're amazing time. It's here at the uh, UCA. And uh, it is in, uh, it's actually on the second floor, we'll direct you, but um, starting tomorrow, 6.30 a.m. But one of the things that we want to do is not just pray for each other in the room, but pray for uh, those who aren't in the room and any needs in our house. So if you would, there's a little pray first card. You might either be fainting yourself with it or it's stuck into a seat in front of you. I want everybody to grab that. So can everybody grab one of those? And what we, I want you to do is take a moment right now and fill it out, uh, any prayer request that you have, something going on in your life, in your family, in your, with your spouse, with your kids, with your work, or whatever is a concern. The Scripture says to bring our cares before God, and that also means that we can have other people with us bringing them, them before God. And so if you'd fill that out, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to fill it out right now, and at the end of the gathering, you can drop it into the container uh, at one of the exits. All right, go. Well, you ever meet with somebody that kind of makes you nervous? I don't mean like, like nervous because you're afraid of them or it's a bad situation. I mean like nervous because they kind of see into your soul. Like, the, like my therapist, this would be a good example of uh, somebody who makes me a little nervous. Like I, I, I want to meet with them and I don't at the same time, right? You know, it's the, it's the therapist or maybe it's a close friend or maybe it's a, a mentor or a, a, a grandparent or just somebody who, who somehow has the ability to see a little deeper. What's going on behind the scenes? What's really going on in your heart? Maybe asks those perfect pointed questions. Does Jesus make you nervous? Because Jesus certainly sees into our hearts. I mean, He should make us nervous. Not in a bad way, but in a a disruptive type of way. Because the way of Jesus and His teachings will, will affect and do affect every aspect and area of our lives. There is not an area of our lives that is off limits and Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I just want, I just care about Sunday mornings. I just got to get that right for you. And if you aren't regularly challenged by Jesus, I would suggest that you have created Jesus in your own image. All that to say here this morning, get ready to be challenged by Jesus by the text today. Woohoo, one person. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Last week, if you were here, uh, you maybe remember that we kicked off a series called In God We Trust, and, and Jesus is, is 
asking us where we put our trust. And he starts off by talking about money and possessions. The verse that ended last week was, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And he picks up right after that in the same section and says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the idea is really simple. The eye acts as a source of light. In other words, it goes, the light of the room goes into our eyes and gives us the ability then to see. So if your eye is working, it will take in the light and you'll be able to move easily around a room. In other words, if your eyes aren't working uh, in a room like this, even though the lights are on, you might trip on the stairs or bump into a railing, something like that. If your eyes are not working, even if there's light in the room, it won't take it in, therefore you won't be able to see, therefore you'd move around the room either extra cautiously or you'd bump up against things, trip, etc. I know about this actually firsthand. In 2014, my retina, the retina in my left eye fully detached. And if you know anything about that, uh, essentially you can't see because your retina is a, against the back of your eyeball and it pulls in and does something with the light in order for you to be able to see. So being that it was off, it wasn't pulling the light in, therefore I could not see out of my left eye for a little while. Thankfully, uh, so grateful for a surgeon who was able to put that back together. In the span of, a time, of time when, I, that I, when my retina was not attached, and I, I would stand next to people, and there'd be people standing right next to me, and I would totally ignore them. Not because I didn't care for them, but I just never saw them. Because even though the room was light, there, there was no light going into my eye, therefore I couldn't see. So that makes sense. Not a hugely crazy concept that Jesus is talking about here, but, but, but if you just read it in context, it seems maybe a bit odd or a bit random in this passage about money and possessions. But Jesus' listeners would have understood it in context because first century Jewish teaching and literature put the, had, a, had an idiom that like an unhealthy eye was an idiom for an evil eye. And an evil eye in first century Jewish culture meant somebody who was stingy or greedy. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 22 says, a person with an evil eye, or another way of saying it, which we would probably say today, a greedy person, a person with an evil eye hurries after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. So, an unhealthy eye means a greedy person, and a healthy eye means a generous person. So, so him talking about eyes and greed is related to stinginess and to generosity. Why are our eyes and greed connected? Why would that be the case? How, where did this idiom of an evil eye even come from? Jesus is saying that greed has a unique ability to blind us, has a unique ability to distort the way that we see things and therefore impact the way that we live. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme when he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, greedy, evil eye, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, the love of money, stinginess, and greed has impacted their faith. That's a significant impact. So Jesus is saying distorted vision leads to distorted living. 
Now, this is important for us to pay attention to here today because we live in a culture where materialism is rampant, not just rampant, actually celebrated and encouraged. This isn't something that is like, oh yeah, materialism is kind of like a not acceptable thing in our culture. It's culturally accepted. Therefore, it's hardly noticeable. Our culture says if you ha- the more you have, the happier you are. But Jesus is saying something else. And what Jesus is saying is, your soul is at stake. To talk about finances, to talk about possessions, to talk about your treasure is to talk about your soul. In another place in the gospel, Jesus says, what good is it if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? I've been a pastor for 22 years now. I was a college pastor for uh, 11 years uh, prior to planting Mill City Church. So for the last 22 years, I have met with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and talked about lots of different things. And some people come to me and might say, hey, I have an issue that I'd like to share with you and maybe you could help me, we can pray together, things like that. And I've had people come and talk to me about lust. I've had people come and talk to me about anger, jealousy, pride, sharing the struggles. You know what? In 22 years, I have never once had somebody come to me and say, I'm struggling with greed. Not once. Maybe it's because greed blinds us. And maybe it's because we think, when we think of greed, we think of Scrooge McDuck. Any DuckTales fans in the house today? All right. Scrooge McDuck, what does he do? He swims in money. So you think, I'm not swimming in money? This doesn't apply to me. And we can always think of somebody greedier than ourselves, right? So if I'm not as greedy as them, then I'm not greedy. But Jesus says something else. I love what Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, an author, he says, materialism has the ability to blind you to materialism. Which means that greed and materialism are subtle. It has a way of hiding itself, which means we can't see it. So, whether it's around greed and materialism or anything else and our first response is, oh, this is not me. Uh, I, I, I hope this applies for some greedy person in the room. We actually should be a little concerned by that type of response because it assumes that we can see every aspect of ourselves clearly. And it's the reason that Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, watch out, exclamation point. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, what's interesting about this watch out is that Jesus doesn't say, now he addresses it in other places, but he doesn't say, watch out for adultery, because it's, you know, you don't miss it. (laughs) He doesn't say, watch out for a lot of things, but he does say this because he knows it has a subtle way of infiltrating our lives. So let's talk about greed for a bit. Can we, can we define it a little bit? You're like, yeah, that'd be great for someone else. We oftentimes, when we think of greed, we oftentimes think of excess and more, which is related to greed. We think of more, 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 more. But you know, oftentimes, greed is actually more about not enough, not enough, not enough. Because greed is often about fear, a fear of lack, a fear of not going to have enough. 
a fear of not keeping up with someone else, a, a fear of what it looks like if we don't have this or that. And that can be especially true for someone who maybe at some point didn't have enough or came close to not having enough. I don't want to ever be in that place again. And greed can just sound like, well, just in case. I need this just in case. In case the apocalypse happens, just in case a nuclear war happens, just in case everything's stolen, just in case. Which sounds a lot like wisdom, but actually can be a lot about fear. Because greed and fear can look like having but not using. In other words, I've got it, but I don't use it. How many things can you think about in your house that you have not used or worn in over a year or two? Probably a lot. And sometimes they sit there maybe because we forgot about them, but oftentimes it's like the just-in-case pile. So Jesus is asking the question here, and this is where it's like, is He going to be able to see behind? What kind of eyes do you have? Healthy eyes? or unhealthy eyes, generous eyes, or stingy eyes. Actually, what Jesus is asking is, what kind of heart do you have? What kind of things are going on on the inside? Now, we would like to just be able to answer quickly, oh, generous. But if greed has a way of getting into our blind spot, right? When you drive, cars can be in your blind spot. So, when we, when we have, when we're driving and a car might be in our blind spot, we either need to have a car that has the, like, indicator, something's in your blind spot, it's on your, like, rear view mirror or whatever, or if you don't have one of those, and even if you do have one of those, wise to do what? Look back and check your blind spot, because it might be there. You don't know if it's there if you don't look there. And so, so it, it actually isn't, isn't, you might, we like to think we have good intentions and motives and we think that we can see ourselves clearly, but the reality is we need to somehow have a way of checking our blind spot. And so to guard ourselves against the blinding effect of greed, I want to give us a few things to think about. Number one, we should just be suspicious of ourselves. Like, like, if, it's, if greed has a way of making its way into our blind spot, then I should be suspicious that it might be there. I'm not saying paranoid, I'm probably greedy, I'm, I'm greedy, I'm the greediest person there is. I know it, I just know it, I know I'm greedy. I'm not saying paranoid, I'm just saying suspicious, like a holy suspicion. God, if there's greed, I want to look. If my blind spot's going off, I just want to be aware. I don't want to assume I'm not, and therefore then find it there, and it's in my blind spot, I just can't see it, so therefore I think I'm fine. Second thing we need to do is be honest with God and thus yourself. See, greed avoids hard questions. But humility says, search me and know me, O God. Find any offensive or anxious ways in me. I love that it's not just offensive but anxious because our anxiousness can be related to what we have or don't have. 
So I have a list of questions that I just want you to ponder. There's going to be several or quite a few, and so you might want to take a picture of the screen, or you can go to uh, the Uversion app and find the notes that are associated with Mill City in there. Those are in that spot, or however you want to do it. But I encourage you not just to think about them for the second that they're on the screen, but to ponder these not just with yourself, but with Jesus. Do I get a high from having things? See, because the question, am I greedy, is too obvious, if you will. We need to ask some questions to kind of skirt around to find out and look in our blind spots. So these are some of those types of questions. Do I get a high from having things? Would I compromise biblical truth for a big monetary reward or something I really wanted? Am I regularly disloyal to God or friends for personal gain? Am I preoccupied with what I want to own? Do I ignore debt? Do I have a hard time getting over losing some money or possessions? Do I ever save at the neglect of basic expenses? Do I not care what others think as long as I have plenty of money? Am I preoccupied with future financial security? Do I have a hard time being generous? Do I justify not being generous with my money by, saving, by saying I give my time? Have your possessions become integral to your self-image? And lastly, a question that we should ask ourselves, not just in relationship to money and possessions, but in every aspect of our lives, what would Jesus do if He were me? How would Jesus handle my budget? How would Jesus handle my, my finances? How would He handle what I have? So really, this is, these are questions for us to inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord with your budget. Inquire of the Lord with a raise. Inquire with, of the Lord with uh, uh, some sort of financial windfall. Is this something that only applies to the wealthy? Absolutely not. You can have absolutely nothing and be overcome by greed. So stu- college students in the room, don't check out. <laughs> so we need to be honest with ourselves and God, but we also need to be accountable with others. Anybody ever seen one of these under 30? Do you know what this is? (laughs) This is a checkbook. And, And people used to carry them around everywhere so that when you went to a store, uh, you would write out the place and the amount and give it to them, and it would come out of your bank account. Pretty wild. I know, right? This is made of trees, okay? So, and then you'd carry around one of these. This is a check register. Anybody who, anybody use a check register? All right, just, just own it if you're like, I still use a check register. All right, okay, all right. You may not be like up with the times, but you're extra cool for being the OGs. Okay, so it's totally great. No shame there. All right, this is a check register for anybody who uh, doesn't use a check register. I haven't used a check register in years because you can use it all on your phone. You can access your balance. But this would have been when you couldn't do that and you, you didn't want to drive to the bank to find out your balance. You would write your, your expenses in here. You'd write down that you went to Starbucks, $17.45 for that latte. And then you'd, you'd subtract it from your total balance so that you never went over your balance. That was the point, so you knew where you were. Then you reconcile that with your bank statement, which was also made of trees, and uh, that would come in the mail. It's a, a fascinating time in our history. 
Would anybody be comfortable, whether you've got a paper, a paper register, or you've got your phone, you can pull up your bank statement. Can I, do you think that you'd feel comfortable with me coming out and reading it? Just reading it to everybody? Anybody? Okay, a couple of people, and a few people are like, I did not raise my hand earlier. I know last week I came out into the seats and took some gift cards and redistributed them. All right, I'm not coming out and checking your check register here today, but I want to ask the question, would you be comfortable with somebody else reading it? It's a, it's a, it's a powerful way for us to evaluate where am I with my finances. I have a friend who has a, a, a city group, you could say, a small group of friends, and, and those small group of friends know his income, they know uh, how much he makes, they know what kind of their the budget looks like, all that kind of thing. They together know each other's uh, things. They, they want to hold one another accountable to how their money is spent. Because of that, anytime any of these guys in this group are wanting to make a purchase over $1,000, they have to check it and run it by the other guys. You might feel and find yourself, even in whether it's reading a check register or running your expenses by someone else. You're like, well, that's odd. That's weird. I, I don't want to do that. that hey, get out, of my, get out of my business. Because culture says you are entitled to lawfully amass as much as you want and do whatever you want with it. Right? No one tells me what to do. I've earned it. I deserve it. It's mine. And without a doubt, we live in a culture where, you know, there's legal ownership, and that should be the case. That's wonderful. But so culture says you can do whatever you want with what you have, but Jesus says the more you have, the more accountable you are. The more responsible you are to think beyond just meeting your needs, to think about what, if your needs are met, what your life looks like. Now, you might say, okay, I'm all about that. I want to embrace uh, not being a person trapped in greed or somehow subtly being taken over by materialism. I want to be that person. But the reality is we need to not just embrace it in our head as a good idea. We need to embody it. And so, therefore, that's why we do spiritual habits or practices because there are ways of integrating this into our lives. Our goal would be that we naturally respond like Jesus would with our finances, generosity, etc. But we need practice. It's just like I love the idea of being stronger and, 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 and having bigger muscles. I love that idea. It's an amazing idea. But you know what it takes? I've got to go to the gym. It can be an idea I embrace and not then a practice I embody. So I've got to get into the rhythm of going to work out in order for that idea to make its way into my life. And so the same thing is true for us. And the spiritual practice I want, us to, encur- I want to encourage us with here today is simplicity. The spiritual practice of simplicity. Living simply. Living with enough. And being aware of what I have is enough. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, this is an interesting verse, not in the encouragement not to love money and to be content, but what follows that. He says, Be content with what you have. He doesn't say, Because God will provide all your needs. 
He says, be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying there's no such thing as financial security. The only real thing is God's security. He doesn't say, I want you to make... God is our provider. Don't hear me wrong. I just want us to know that our ultimate security is found in God walking with us, whether we have a lot or a little, and we say, God's with me. I'm good. When I grew up, uh, my dad uh, owns a construction company, self-employed, and, and in, in, we lived a little middle-class lifestyle, had a running cars, all that kind of thing. But there were times when business was really And what that looked like in our lives was an empty refrigerator. I remember those days, and I remember those days as a 12-year-old. And I remember thinking about, I never want that to happen to me. I never want to be in that situation. And so somehow I got that settled into my heart. When I got into high school and into college, and I started picking a major, and what am I going to do with my life, and making some of those decisions, and and I, I, I chose business and marketing, and I saw a path towards greater wealth and financial security. Well, I had some people that were asking about and encouraging me towards ministry, working in a church, and hey, that's, that's nice. But for me, I, I thought, and I knew at the time, and the, the statistics are similar today, the not over 95, 90 to 95% of the churches in America are 90 people or less. And so for me, I thought 90 people or less equals pastor eats ramen. Now, for some of you, you're like, I mean, my boys would be like, ramen, yes, that sounds awesome. And I thought, I don't want to, I, I, that, that means an empty refrigerator to me. So I, I was like, no, not doing it. My lovely wife started asking me when we were dating and asked me about ministry. And I basically gave her a similar response. And she challenged me enough and asked enough of the questions that caused me to have to think about it. I started wrestling with God over it when I was probably a sophomore, junior in college. Now, I didn't feel like I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to be a church. I'm going to do any of the things that I do now. But, uh, but I just felt like I needed to wrestle with it. And I wrestled with God. And I finally came to a place where I said, God, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go whatever, wherever you want me to go. And if you call me into ministry, if you call me into a church in Kansas, 90 people, and I eat ramen, so be it. Because you know something I learned as I wrestled with God? The safest place, the most secure place to be is in the will of God. Not to have a maxed out 401k plan. The safest place to be is in the will of God. And the other thing that struck and landed in my heart is that we are connected to an unending source. That God is our provider. That God does see us. That God does know us. And, and, and God will see and walk with us. And He cares for our little, His little kids. I said, okay. Well, then God decided to put me to the test. And I did sense a call towards ministry. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I needed to get a job. I got a job out of college working as a software salesman. I learned very quickly what I was not called to do in my life. And I got a job offer after a year to go work at a university and to work with students. 
And it was, it was closer towards what I felt like God might have been calling me towards. And the starting salary was $8,900 a year. And I said yes. And you know what? I think back on those days. Josie and I were married. And I think back on those days, not with lack, but with joy. God took care of us. Could we buy everything we wanted? No. But were we doing what God called us to do and felt purpose and free and encouraged and like, yes. And so the question for you and for me today is, is the safest, securest place for each one of us with a robust bank account and more than enough just in case or is our security found in God and His way? Are we willing to pray the prayer found in Proverbs chapter 30? It says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That prayer is, it kind of sounds un-American. And it might be. But you know what it is? Pro-kingdom. It's a, it's a prayer that says, I don't want to get caught up in something that would take me away from depending on Jesus. I don't want to have so little that I'm preoccupied and, I, and distracted by what I don't have. But I also don't want to have so much that I get distracted with it so that I don't see my need for Jesus. Can we pray the prayer of dependence that says, God, will you just give me enough? Or if I have more than enough, help me to live on just enough and be content and somehow say, God, what do you want me to do with this? So our weekly practice is simplicity. Every week we, we together practice something specific. And this week is simplicity. And I want you to live into that by doing this. Get rid of something in your house that you don't use that you don't use, you haven't used in a year, not, uh, my jo- and maybe it's a just-in-case thing. Will you go through? Maybe it's the closet. Maybe it's the garage. Maybe it's that room. Maybe it's the kitchen. I don't know what it is, the just-in-case stuff. Would you go through it? Give it away? Ask if there's somebody who needs it. You've got two. You've you got two because just-in-case that one first one breaks down. See, because... Greed isn't just about fear. In the kingdom of God, greed is also about ignoring. It's about ignoring those in need who don't have enough. In the first century, if you read this in the Old Testament, it actually encouraged farmers to harvest their fields by, by when they kind of came around the corner, to leave the corners. Go around your, let's say it's a square field, leave the corners, don't harvest those corners, you know, go back, back in and I don't, I don't know how they did it, but nonetheless, leave the corners. Why? Leave the corners for the people who don't have enough, and they can, they can get something. They don't have to pay for it. It's there. What if we left the corners of our paychecks? What if you get that raise, and you're like, what do I do with this extra corner? 
I just got another corner. I have five corners on my field now. Are we willing to embrace the reality of the kingdom that says that those who have much should care for those with little? That See, greed lacks compassion. Generosity is filled with compassion, and we are to be people of love. See, if we get consumed with greed, what we end up doing is we ignore those who are in actual need. I love what Basil the Great, he was a fourth century saint, he says, why are you rich? Not wrong to be rich, but surely it is so you can win the reward of being generous. Jesus never asks any one of us to do something he hasn't already done himself. This reality of generosity, as indicated by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, is reflected in the life of Jesus and ultimately Him going to the cross, His willingness to give it all, every aspect of Himself, including His own life, for the blessing and the love of the world. And so, I don't know how this message lands for you today, but my hope is for each one of us that we look at and focus our eyes on Jesus and say, I want to be like you. I want to do what you did. I want to lay my life down. I don't want to hold tightly onto the things that I have. I want to live an open-handed life. So much so that things can't grab a hold of me because I'm not grabbing hold of them. And so I'm going to be like Jesus and I want to live in such a way that my life is given away. And for some of us, for maybe for all of us here today, it's a re-surrender. It's a re-giving our lives, every aspect of our lives to Jesus. Would you check my blind spots, Jesus? For others of us, maybe you haven't been in church in a long time, and maybe you've found yourself trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in finances or possessions or experiences or travel or so many other things that can be good and wonderful, but you found them to be hollow because they don't satisfy in the deepest of places. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is, has an invitation for you today. It's to come home. Come home to the loving arms of the Father, recognizing that possessions and things cannot love us back, but Jesus loves us unconditionally. Maybe you're here in church for the very first time. Maybe you're in a place where you've never said yes to Jesus. But you sense something in your heart to cross the line of faith. To say, Jesus, I give you my life. And it's as simple as that, a simple little prayer that says, Jesus, I give you my life today. It's not the only thing we need to say to God, but it is a first thing in a journey of ultimate surrender and living our lives open-handedly and available to God. So if you just said yes to Jesus, Jesus, I give you my life. You can say it sincerely under your breath. If that's you here today, you just made the most amazing decision of your life, which also means that you, we give access to God to every aspect of our lives. Together, we want to embrace the reality of Jesus' generosity towards us by taking communion together. And so, if you may, on your way in, you should have received a plastic communion cup. If you don't have one, you missed it somehow or, or whatever, if you would, you can just raise your hand and one of the host team will make their way towards you. Just keep your hand up until you get one of those. While you continue to wait, the Scripture says that, and before we take it all together, the Scripture says that before we take communion, we're to examine ourselves. 
So I want to take a moment of examination. Would you be willing to open your hands, open your heart, and basically ask God, search me and know me? Are there any offensive or anxious ways in me related to money, related to possessions? Maybe related to something else the Holy Spirit would bring up. Would you just open your heart, not just reflect and ask the question, but if something comes to mind, would you confess it before God? Let's do that together. We not only want to confess personally, we also want to confess together. I know we're together in one room, but we don't come together in one room to do things individually. We come together in one room to sing together, to pray together, and we want to confess together as well. And so up here on the screen will come a confessional prayer. And I want us to pray this together. The reason we do this is because it's a reminder that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. That there's not one of us in here who is more in need of God's grace than someone else. That was, anybody in here is in less need. We all are desperate for the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. And so let's pray this together. Almighty God, you love us, but we do not love you fully. You call, but we do not always listen. We often walk away from neighbors in need wrapped up in our own concerns. We often embrace fear and condone greed. God of grace, help us to live simply, contentedly, and open-handedly. Help us, Holy Spirit, to admit our sin so that as you move toward us in mercy, we may repent, turn to you, and receive forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, amen. As we take communion, if you would, grab your communion cup. You can peel off the top layer. It gives you access to the bread. The next foil layer gives you access to the juice. If you've never taken communion with us, we practice what we call open communion, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you just said yes to Jesus just a moment ago, we encourage you to participate with us because communion is not about becoming a, or being a member of one particular church, but about belonging to the family of God and embracing the work of Jesus. If you choose not to participate with us, that is okay. The Lord Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, he was with his disciples, and as he was eating a meal with them on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the juice together and then I'll pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your 
your grace, your generosity, that you are a, a God who cannot, we cannot outgive you. Your generosity is, is expressed in creation. Your generosity is expressed in the most pure and beautiful form in the, the form of your son, Jesus. Going to the cross, giving his life away. So that we might live to overcome the power of sin, to defeat death, and to give us the way towards eternal life. So we thank you. And we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would uh, help us to see. Help us to see our need for you. Help us to stay dependent upon you, regardless of our paychecks and the size of each one of them for each and every one of us here today. God, I pray that our hearts would be fully yours that our hearts and our lives would belong to you, that our, our hearts would be open to you, our hands would be open to you and to others, and help us to check our blind spots, surround us with people who will be able lovingly share what they see. God, we want to be people of your way, not the way of, the, of, the, of our culture, but the way of the kingdom. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said,